When I think of encounter, and I think of the word encounter, several things came to my mind as I was sitting down preparing this. If you could see me, you would understand that. There's pages and pages and scribbles, and several things went through my mind. But where I landed with this encounter, in my life anyway, is several different areas. Thoughts, people, words. And I thought, you know, when I, most of my thoughts were when I was a kid. I did not want to encounter a shark. I had this big fear of sharks. I didn't want to, never wanted to encounter a shark at all in my life. Show shark encounter, I've never watched it. I don't have a desire to watch it. I have no interest in sharks or in encountering them. I, had, I did not want to encounter hell. I did not want to encounter Satan. I had a vision in my mind of what hell was like, and I see these people behind bars and screaming and gnashing their teeth and smoke everywhere and screaming. And I see Satan with two horns and a tail that he could whip and hit me and destroy me. That was was in my mind, and I did not encounter hell. I did not want to encounter Satan as a child. Lord, Lord, praise God, I won't have to encounter that. And then as I got and my encounters go to people, and, and how certain encounters in our lives with, with people can impact us, and they can change us. When I encountered my wife, I was changed. I was impacted. The husband then, I... I, I had a different perspective of it. I matured in so many ways. My kids, a father, matured me, grew me in so many ways. I've seen things different in this world. And then I think of my encounter with words and people who spoke those words into my life. Good pastors in my life. Good dependable pastors who preach the word of God. My parents, my mother and my father, they would preach the gospel of Jesus to me. And those words were the most amazing word ever in encounter. Because they changed me, they transformed me, they impacted me, they educated me, and changed and impacted me. Think of your life right now, because I'm going to ask you to do about the sermons, but I want you to think about your life. I want you to think of the encounters you had right now. What words have people spoken to your life? Who have you encountered that changed you? Thoughts, people, words. Use the person this morning who was educated. They got an education in Jesus. He came in the dark. Thought he was educated in many ways, but he wasn't educated on what truly mattered in life, and that's Nicodemus. And we're going to see how this encounter, did it change him? Did it impact him? What came of this encounter? That's going to be our focus with this morning. But when I think of smarts and being educated and having a brain, and I think dark, how he comes in the dark, I think of light. I think of Benjamin Franklin. I love this reading I came across that was provided to me. This was wrote by Warren Earsby. I have to make sure I, I mention that. But look at this. It fits so, so well. Listen to these words. It says, not, not only was Franklin a great statesman and, and an inventor, but he was also a great correspondent and received letters from, from famous people from all over the world. One day he received what could well have been the most important letter ever to come to his desk. It was from the well-known George Whitfield. Said, I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world, Whitfield wrote. It made you such progress in investigating the mysteries of electricity. I now humbly urge you to give diligent heed to the mystery of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study, and when master richly repay you for your pains. The new birth is one of the key topics in John 3, and it's one of the key things we're going to be discussing. And at that time, when Benjamin Franklin received the words, I mean, it had much to do with light that we have today, much advancement of electricity and lighting that we benefit from the, from the physical world. A man of very well-educated, smart and the most important thing when he was in the dark. And he received those words from George Whitfield. 
as we get into God's Word this morning, think of that. Take this thing so we can take it outside these walls and count our life so we can be the true light like many of us are. And to kind of set the scene for this, I have to mention in John chapter 2. Because at the very end of John chapter 2, and I'll just read it for you, it's one, one verse. It kind of helps set the scene in the context for, for John chapter 3. As we'll see some of Nicodemus' first words he says in this encounter, we'll kind of refer to this. But verse 23 says, Now when he, speaking about Jesus, now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in him when they saw the signs that he was doing. So many were seeing these signs and they were coming to believe in Jesus Christ. And that's important to know because that's, what it, that's one of the things that affected Nicodemus. Why he wanted to come to Jesus. And towards the end of the sermon, we'll talk about several scenarios that people say he came and we'll discuss that for a moment. But definitely he was attracted by these signs Jesus was doing and that people were believing in Jesus Christ. Now you can follow along with John chapter 3. I'm going to read, it's going to be pretty lengthy. And I ask you, tune in. When I read this, let God in your heart. See what God's Word is saying. Listen to what Jesus is saying and how Nicodemus is replying in this as I read this. Picking up verse 1, chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher of God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Here's Jesus' first answer. You'll note in verse 3, 5, and 10, it'll say Jesus answered. When verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said the second time, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows, wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from, where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Verse 10, the third answer. Jesus answered him, are you the of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things and you do not, do not believe. How can you believe if I do heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven and he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now this verse probably sounds familiar to almost everyone here, if not everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish for eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who, who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now there's a lot, a lot there. That's an amazing encounter. We just have to read the encounter 
of Jesus and Nicodemus. So now we're going to draw four points. Our approach this morning is going to be these four P's to try to make it easy to follow. We're going to talk about the person that came to Jesus. Because you have to know that to really understand this encounter. We're going to talk about the purpose of this encounter. And we're going to move in to the process, the plan of this encounter, and the progress from it. And then we're going to talk about the praise, the outcome of this encounter. And hopefully that will make it fairly easy for you to follow. But the first point I'll read now, and then we'll draw it out, out of Scripture together. If you grab the lens, you can fill this in. If not, just hear what I'm, what I'm saying. Nicodemus was in darkness, both physically and spiritually, when he encountered Jesus. That's the, the first point. Nicodemus was in darkness, both physically and spiritually, when he encountered Jesus. So first, let's po- focus on the person, and, and then draw that, that darkness, physically and spiritually, out, out of Scripture. It's going to pop right out to us right away. Verse 1 will be the person. Now there was a man of the Pharisees he's named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That's very important for you to even move on with this encounter. Because a Pharisee, this man that came to him, was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. It means he was one of roughly 6,000 Pharisees in that day of the entire population. Which means he was very well trained, very well educated, a very smart man that knew the law, he knew the Torah very well. So he's smart, he's educated, he's trained, he's a teacher. He was one of 71 Sanhedrin, the ruling of Jerusalem, similar to our Supreme Court. He has position, he has authority, he has a sin in decision making. He's a man that people know, intimidates people in some ways, very, very respected by others in their debates. So he's a man that has some authority. 613 laws felt you had to live by and keep. More, or actually, some of that actually, man-made laws in addition to God's, God's laws that they would kind of change as needed. They would add to them. There was roughly 39 just with the Sabbath of how many steps you could take, how many words you was, could write. Details with tying knots, all man-made that they had made. And some of them, they held an equal, equal standard to what God's laws and God's rules. That's who this man is. The definition of Pharisee actually means separated. And that's what they were. They were separated for one. They were separated to oppose Jesus Christ. They wanted him out of, out of the picture, rested and gone. They didn't believe Jesus. They were opposed. They were also separated from the people. They felt if you're not one of us, you're not, say, you're, if you're not a do, if you're not part of our heritage, if you're not circumcised, if you don't live by these laws and do what we do, you're nobody. You have no, no hope. You have no future. You have to do these things. That was his mindset entering. So keep that in mind. And then we'll go to verse 2. Read verse 2. It says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So he was in the dark. He came in the dark physically, but he was also in the dark spiritually. He didn't believe Jesus. He wasn't receiving these things and believing him. What does that mean? It means he was in the dark spirit. He didn't grasp the concept. He said, see, you're doing these signs, and maybe you're from God, and you're teaching these things, but he didn't fully know who Jesus was. So he was spiritually in the dark. It reminds me of you and me. When we came to know Jesus Christ, we, had got, we all had a little Nicodemus, right? We were spiritually in the dark. We, we, didn't, we didn't receive and believe Jesus Christ. It makes me think of this world that we're in. They don't want to receive Jesus. They don't want to believe in Jesus. 
Some will. That's why we keep preaching it and speaking it. And that's why we pray like Brother Chuck did. Charlie at the beginning of spread the gospel. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the countries. That's, that's, what we, that's why we do what we do. Obviously, God can use us. But we know what the many in the world think of that. They don't want to hear it. If anything, they think Christians are pushing it on them. Right? They don't like that. They don't like that feeling. So I, so I think of the world. I think how it relates to them. So now that we know this person, and we know that he came in the dark, that we know he's in the dark experience, and we get that point, then finally, see how that applies to us. We all had a little Nicodemus in us. So now we can kind of get into this owner, and I'll read our second point. And that's where we're going to spend most of the time this morning. But the second point, the purpose of this encounter. Jesus had a clear message to communicate in an encounter with Nicodemus. He had a very clear message to communicate. We're going to see what the purpose is. You notice, notice how there was three answers. We'll kind of use them a little bit to walk through this and guide this. But we'll start right off in three, verse three. And when I read this, honestly, I literally said, wow, out loud. Nicodemus, it don't have a question mark. He really didn't officially ask a question. It was kind of like a statement question. I know you've all heard of them before. And here's what, here's what Jesus says off the bat. He don't, he don't pull no punches. He don't beat around the bush. He don't overcoat it, which is what I, one thing I love about many of you. I've been told that before. Feedback and encouraged by you of preach God's word, preach the truth. One man in here said, "Tell me, me is you know that, that that that's what we want. We just just preach the truth. Just give it to us. That's what we want. That's what, what Jesus done with Nicodemus. He says, Jesus answered, verse three. Truly, truly, Nicodemus. Truly, truly, pay attention to this. I see you. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus starts right off with, you can't do it. You, this born again, this, I got to give you the Greek word for this because, and even in this past week, I was talking with a guy from work and the, the light bulb went off in his head when I said this. We were having lunch together. And when I said this, his eyes went, that helps that make sense. Exactly what he said, said to me. So the proof was right there. He, this Greek word is anathem, and it actually means also from above. He's saying, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above. And for Nicodemus, that would have been hard to hear and hard to grasp. Because what did I just say? These Pharisees were performers. In Matthew 21, Jesus, his own words to disciples in the crowd, is that these Pharisees love to be seen. They recognize for their position. They love to be heard. They were performers, and they love to be recognized. That's who he's dealing with here. So this would be hard for Nicodemus to hear and grasp this because Jesus is saying it's not your self-righteousness. It's not your performance. It's not your to-do list. You can't enter into the womb. Nicodemus is thinking physically and naturally here. The first thing he says, well, what, what can I do? What must I do to do this? How can a man be born again? And he says, it's not from you. It's from above. And then he goes on in verse 5. He's, Jesus answered the second time. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he will not enter the kingdom of God. This is water and the Spirit. It's from above. This is a different kind of water. He's not talking about baptism. Baptism don't get us saved. We get baptized because we are saved. We get baptized to the public declaration of our inward faith, our inward change. We have been born from above. No physical water can save you. We get baptized because we are saved, not to be saved. And it's not being born physically that saves us. We know that. No physical water can do it. No physical cleansing. 
This is a water in spirit. It's a birth from above. I love these verses. I want to share a few verses with you. Scripture and answer scripture I love to do, but to get this point across. Why? Why was Nicodemus' self-doing and self-righteousness and his performance? Why did it not matter to be born from above? Well, Psalm 14, verses 2, 2, 3, 3, Psalm says, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of the city if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. No one who does good, not even one. No one does. Nicodemus, all this stuff is your dawn. It's not good. It's not right. It means nothing to God because you're not doing the one thing that matters, the one thing you need to do. It's so important. Paul echoes it in Romans 10 through 12. He says, as it is written, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This would be hard for Nicodemus to grasp. Jesus, John chapter 6, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then to really drive the point home, one thing that we're all familiar with, so Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's born from above. That's what he's to Nicodemus. Stop. You're not doing the one thing that matters. And this water in spirit, I have to drive that home right now. John 7, in Jesus' words once again, and he says, Whoever lives in me, as the Spirit has said, I'm sorry, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him to receive. When you have the Spirit, out will flow living water from the Spirit. That's what the Spirit is. Ephesians 5, we know that a husband and a wife, if it resembles the relationship of what? Christ and the church. In Ephesians 5, it says, Heavens, love your wife as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the wash of water with the word. It's from above. It's a purification, it's a cleansing that only God knew. I love Ezekiel 36. This is the, he, the people, his people had suffered his wrath because they defiled the land. So they've suffered his wrath. We were in exile. And even in exile, they profaned his name. But because of his name, for his own glory, Jesus wanted to do something for them. Not for them, for himself, for his glory, for his holiness. And he gives these words to Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Listen to I wills. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in the statues and be careful to obey my rules. You see, I will I will purify you. I will cleanse you. I will spill you. See, it's a divine and eternal living water. It's not a physical water baptism and it's not a physical water of birth. That's what trying to drive home to Nicodemus here. Who would be have a hard time understanding that. So as we do that, and as we look at this, I want to read point three. 
because I want to see what starts to come. In. Actually, before I do that, I want to get, let's look at the Spirit. Look in verse 8. I think it's verse 8. Look in verse 8 with me for a moment. Jesus even says to Nicodemus, the, Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born, born, with, born of the Spirit. I love these couple things right here. That's why I will go, go to these first. Because he's even using things here that Nicodemus should relate to. He's saying the wind. Come on. You believe in the wind. You hear it. You see the impact from it, but you can't predict it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know who it's going to hit and how hard. The same is with the Spirit. Believe in it. Because it's going to hit who it hits, when it hits, how hard it hits. And you have nothing to do with it. Believe in it. Just like you do the wind. And then he moves on. As Nicodemus says to him, like I said, you have a hard time. How can these things be? He says in verse 9. And then in verse 10, Jesus is answering that third answer. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say, speak that what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not resist our testimony. And now he starts going to believe here. verse 12. In verse 12 through 18, there's seven times he goes to believe here. He says, you're not receiving it, Nicodemus. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has descended into heaven except one who descended from heaven. And now Nicodemus would really get this part right, right here in verse 14. The final way, well, the second to last way he's trying to get this to Nicodemus, this serpent from Numbers 21. What did I say a Pharisee really well? The Old Testament. The first five books of the, the, new, the, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. He would know this story. He says... As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, again, may have eternal life. Again, we see that believe. See, the serpent, the people rebelled, they moaned, they groaned. They didn't in Jesus in the wilderness. They didn't like the food they were getting. Why did, why did we leave Egypt? Why are we eating this food? Mumbling and grumbling and complaining and lack of trust. Sounds familiar to today in many ways. But Jesus... God, God this. He tells Moses, he says, put this brass serpent up on a pole. And those who look to that, because he let these snakes come, and they were biting people and killing them. People were losing their life. And he gives them away. They recognize their sin. Two recognizers. He tells Moses, put this brass serpent up. Make it. Whoever looks to that serpent, their life will be saved. Whoever looked up to that serpent, it took faith to look up that serpent. What could that serpent do? It's up on a pole. I'm getting bit by a snake. It's going to die. But if you look, and if you have faith and believe in that serpent, you will be saved. Those who looked, saved. Their physical life is saved. They were spared. Jesus is pointing that. He's saying, I will be lifted up. I will put on a cross. One day, I will ascend into heaven. I will be lifted up. And those who look to me in faith and believe, they won't be just saved physically. They'll be saved spiritually. And then I love how he switches this. If you notice, look from verse 15 up and look at all the sons. You'll see son of man, son of man, son of man, man. Well, now look at verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. See how he switches it. Now it's son of God. He said, I am the son of God, Nicodemus. Believe. And I won't read them all, but keep reading through there on your own. You'll see, believe, believe. What does Nicodemus have to do? I think the purpose of this encounter is so clear this morning. 
He's saying, listen, I know you're used to this performance, you're used to these laws, you're used to you having some control of your salvation. It's what you do. It's nothing that you do. It's all from above. The Holy Spirit, God will draw you to Him. The Holy Spirit, all you do is receive and believe. You're not that powerful. You're not that strong. You just receive and believe. But everybody in here agree you had zero with your physical birth. And you would, you would have no problem agreeing with that, right? When you came in, you didn't know the day you were going to be born. You didn't know if you were going to be a boy or a girl. You didn't know if you was going to be born. You didn't know anything about your physical birth. Matter of fact, the first time you've seen light in this world, you didn't even know it. You didn't even know it was light. Because you knew no better. You were trained. You were matured. You were all. Why do we have such a hard time thinking we have something to do with our spiritual life? That we don't see the eternal light until God calls us. God calls us. We're not that strong. We're not that powerful. It's by God. It's from above. That's what he's telling the Nicodemus. I think the point is very clear in that message. Then we move to the third point this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. The account Nicodemus had with Jesus produced conviction. And I'll read this for you. You don't have to t- turn there because I'll only be here a minute. In John chapter 7, we see conviction. Remember how I said the path and kind of the process of progress? When, when in, in chapter 7, verse 50, it says, Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, talking about the encounter we just read, says, gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to him, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? See, he stands up and defends Jesus here. A man who was supposed to be one of them, could have been quiet, took some bowls, was under pressure, he, stay, he, he is convicted and he stands for Jesus Christ. He speaks up for Jesus' defense. He's defending his faith. He def- he's defending Jesus Christ. Our world to today, that can apply to us, right? So, so much that can apply to us, us who have had faith in Jesus Christ, who do have faith in Jesus Christ. That what we're supposed to do, be quiet, look like, like we fit in, that's, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do by the world, but we're called to speak up, stand up, be firm. Not fit in. Not give in to the pressure. I would love if we could all have a little more Nicodemus innocence in that, but the conviction, myself included. What a difference it can make in this world. So there you see the path, the plan, the progress. And then the final point this morning is the, the praise. The feeling is that the encounter Nicodemus had with Jesus resulted in conversion. And I'll go to 19, chapter 19, and I'll read that for you as well. I'm going to start in verse 38. This is after Jesus is on the cross. He's, he's died on the cross now. It's time to blame. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly of the Jews, asked Pilate that he would take away the body of Jesus and Pilate in permission. He took away his body. Now here you go. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, the encounter we just read, he came to Jesus by night. Why did he come by night? There's all kinds of speculation. I mentioned the because that's not what I'm up here for. I'm up here to preach truth. Some say he came because he was fearful Pharisees, so he came at night. He was afraid of what was going to happen to him. Many say he quest for truth. He had a sincere heart, and he was on the cross for the truth. Some say he was going to tell all this information back to the Pharisees. I'll let you do your own study and how to work on your heart with that. But I'll tell you this. 
God's word tells us one, one simple truth. Came in the dark. He wasn't in the dark anymore. He wasn't the disciple and he wasn't in the dark. It says he came by night, they, who also had come by night. Now he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about, about seven, five pounds in weight. Let me help that make sense to you. He came bringing myrrh and aloe were worth 75 pounds in weight. We're talking about a Nicodemus now who was convicted, converted. One of two men recording the Gospel of John who helped Jesus Christ. And 75 pounds is the equivalent to roughly one hundred fifty to $200,000 in our day, roughly. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm spending $150,000 or $200,000 on something, it's going to be somebody I support, somebody I back, something I believe in, or someone I believe in. And that's what Nicodemus is doing right here. His finances is going to Jesus Christ. His time, not in the dark anymore, is in Jesus Christ. He's convicted. He's not afraid. He's converted. I think of us in the room who have believed in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, who have been convicted, converted, been drawn by God, by the Holy Spirit, and have faith. You know what I, know what I love as I get ready to close with this? This really popped out at me. Is Nicodemus' name, I found... Two of the definitions I found for it, one of them is victory. And the other one is, one is conquer of the people. Because of the encounter Nicodemus had with the real conqueror of the people, the real king of the world, the real king of the people, Jesus Christ, because of that encounter, he had complete victory, just like his name means. Brothers and sisters, those of us who believe in Jesus, we have a whole lot of Nicodemus in us in that sense, where we have complete victory in Jesus Christ. So you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to have the great I, this IQ or position or authority to believe in Jesus Christ. Like Nicodemus or like Benjamin Franklin. I love this story. I'll use it at the close this morning. Also about Warren Wearsby. I love this. It says, it was On January 6, 1850, a snowstorm was crippled the city of Colchester, England. And a teenage boy was unable to get to the church usually attended. So he made his way to a nearby Methodist chapel where an ill-prepared lame substitute of the absent preacher. None of you better believe that about me, by the way. His text was Isaiah 45:22. Look on me and be ye saved, and all the ends of the earth. For many months this young teenager had been miserable in her deep conviction. But though he had been reared in church, both his father and grandfather were preachers he did not have the assurance of salvation. But this unprepared substitute minister did not have much to say, so he kept repeating text. A man need not go to college to learn to look. He shouted. Anyone can look. A child can look. About that time, he saw all the visitors sitting in the one side, and he pointed and said, Young man, you look very miserable. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. The young man did look by faith. And that was how the great preacher Charles Spurgeon was converted. Charles Spurgeon, a child, a teenager. We come as a child. We are children of God. We are still children of God. You don't need a certain, you don't do, you don't perform it. You don't have to have an IQ. There are so many people that read the word of God and speak the word. And they're not true Christians. They have an education. They have a head faith like Nicodemus came with, but they don't have art faith. They don't really, really, they don't really believe. They, they really don't study it. There's a big difference between reading and studying. Amen? So if you're in here and you believe in Jesus Christ, I want you to leave with this encounter we've had. 
the privilege, the blessing to study through this morning. I want it to make you want to go encounter. I pray that you will go encounter this world and you'll get to the point with people like Jesus did with Nicodemus. You'll share the true way to salvation, the one true way, which is Jesus Christ. And if you're in here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, I ask you to go through those four Ps for me. What kind of person are you? Are you in the light or are you in the dark? What's your purpose in life? How would you define your purpose in your life right now? Those who believe, what's your purpose in life? It's different. That's for sure. As Christians, our purpose is different. Where's your progress? What's the process? What's the plan in your life if you believe or don't believe? Where's your life moving? What direction are you going? Do your actions reflect your belief? And then finally, your praise. If you don't believe in Jesus, who do you praise? Who do you thank? for your life and, and what you're doing. And if you believe in Jesus, we know exactly who to give the praise to and the thanks to in our life. It's Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that now. Let us close with prayer.